Good evening, everyone. This is Ed here at Big Nerdy Questions, uh, where last week we brought you Patria Burchard, the voice actress of Ryoko. We want to thank her again for uh, gracing us with her presence. It was a it was a blast. Uh, tonight we have a another anime themed episode. Uh, but before we get into the big nerdy question, we're going to send it over to Matt. Do you have a sponsor for us? As a matter of fact, I do, Ed. Today's episode is brought to you by Tokyo Tower. Tokyo Tower, for, for all your landmark destruction needs. Nice. Okay, joining uh, myself and Matt on this episode, Josh is here with us as a producer. Hello, everybody. Ra- Rachel's here with us. Hey, all. And again, our spe- uh, holdover from last week, Tino is with us again. How do you do there? Uh, real quick, Tino, I wanted to give you just a second to plug your, uh, you know, artwork uh, for our listeners because uh, oh we didn't have a chance to last week. That's uh, fine. Um, yeah, my name is Valentino. Uh, you can find me all over the internet at Big B Roman, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook. So uh, I'm a self-taught cartoonist and graphic designer. Uh, I do comics here and there. Mostly, it's illustrations. So. Okay, thank you very much, Tino. Uh, thank you. I will handle the big nerdy recommendation for today. Uh, well, why not? Uh, we'll go with... Um, you'll have to edit this out. I honestly thought that this was going to be one episode. I didn't think of anything. Uh, Jesus. Do, do any of you have one on deck, or I can just think of something real quick? Um, I was going to let Patria do it when it was still one episode. Uh, I can do one real quick. Okay. Uh, I haven't recommendation yet. Okay. Uh, Josh, if we can just edit that bit Yeah, out. so I'll restart from, uh, like, throw it to Rachel with, uh, and with our Big Nerdy recommendation. Okay. All right, we're going to throw it over to Rachel with our Big Nerdy recommendation today. Hi, everybody. Uh, I haven't done a recommendation yet, but this is near and dear to my heart, and I absolutely feel like I have to plug it. Uh, and that would be the American cartoon Steven Universe. Uh, if you like anime at all, you'll love this. It's actually uh, slightly inspired by both magical girl genres, color palette. The creators of the color palette somewhat came from uh, the old Yoshi games. Everything was very brightly colored. Uh, there's actually a couple of uh, homages to uh, Evangelion in there, uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena. Uh, it's very... Um, it's also very good for kids to watch and adults. You kind of get uh, both both sides of the coin enjoying the show. Uh, really short explanation. It's about a boy who is half human, half gem, so to speak. His mother was a gem, and she died giving birth to him because only one person can hold the gem at once. He has a gem in his stomach. It gives him powers. He's trying to figure out how his powers work. Three of his mother's best friends are trying to tutor him in that. And then on the other side, you've got his uh, human father trying to teach him how to be human. Uh, Very much coming of age, sometimes wacky, sometimes dark, sometimes in between. Uh, I think there's a few seasons out on Hulu right now. And uh, it kind of periodically comes on on television on Cartoon Network. So uh, if you like anime at all or you think it sounds interesting, I definitely would give it a shot. And I just to chime in on this, I watched the show myself based on Rachel's recommendation, and I absolutely love it. Uh, great show. And I think there are three or four seasons on Hulu. Mm-hmm. 
It's it's a lot of fun. She really she, she got me into it too. <laughs> okay, I've been uh, following that show since it started. It's amazing. It is. Peridot's the best. I'll fight you. Yeah, you really. <laughs> uh, Lion is best gem. Fact. Uh, I don't care if it's not a gem. Pearl, Pearl best gem. I also like all her songs. Pearl, Pearl. sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, it looks like we got a fight on our hands, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps right. a future Big Nerdy Question. <laughs> Who's the best gym coming next season on Big Nerdy Questions? Okay. All right. We're going to move on to our uh, Big Nerdy Question of the evening. Uh, in our Mount Rushmore series, we're going to be discussing tonight the who belongs on the Mount Rushmore of anime. Uh, the way we kind of broke this down, as similar to the other ones, we're talking about people who were influential in the creation Uh, of the various shows and movies we're talking producers writers directors um, music composers the like Uh, we did not discuss our picks beforehand and we're going to just take a turns in order uh, just going over who our four are respectively and then at the end we'll try to come to a consensus on uh, who belongs on the Mount Rushmore so the order we're going to go in tonight is I'm going to go first, then it's going to be Rachel, Matt, then Tino. We'll each present our four uh, candidates and then briefly explain why. So I'll take it off first. Um, my first uh, candidate, and uh, this one might be – I might be the only one that listed this one, is uh, Yoshiyuki Tomino, who was the original creator of Mobile Suit Gundam back in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, he worked on several of the Gundam franchise, but I think the reason he should be on the Rushmore is, you know, not just so much for the the shows that he did produce, but the long-lasting effect of uh, what he did produce. There are there is an entire genre now of mecha that owes its lineage to Mobile Suit Gundam, to Yoshiyuki Tomino. And uh, I, I don't think anime would be what it is today without his his contributions to the medium. Um, if if either if any of our guests have any kind of input on this, we'll talk about it, and then if not, I'll go on to my second uh, nomination. Um. Well, the uh, I, I will say, you know, not not only was the Gundam series influential on the mecha genre, but also there been just so many Gundam series. Mm-hmm. I, I'm wanting to say it's, it's nearly 40 ind- independent series and films. That's possible. There's a lot. And I, I think... I didn't actually look, so... Go ahead, Rachel. One of the reasons I'm okay with that uh, nomination is because Gundam Wing was on Toonami. And I believe that's most Americans start with the franchise. I watched it. Well, okay, I didn't have cable at the time, but one of my friends recorded it all on VHS tapes and let me borrow them. But uh, <laughs> as, you know, past the tapes was basically what we did in the 90s. But, yeah, I, uh, I think that was a good start, a good start for Mecca. Yeah, Endless Waltz made its way around our high school more than a few times. Yeah, it did. Well, and, and not only not only the effect on the the franchise of Gundam as a whole. I mean, come on, like Full Metal Panic owes to it. Big O, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is kind of a deconstruction of the genre itself. Gurren Lagann, so many other you know shows and and stories can trace directly back to Mobile Suit Gundam. 
and I think that the impact is going to be around forever as long as there there is anime to to be to be watched. Really, um, not just that, but it's also uh, a, a really um, interesting take on politics and war in general. It's like one of the latest series. Uh, Iron-Blooded Orphans focuses mostly on the horrors of war and what uh, what like happens to those involved. It's about a a, a group of uh, what used to be like slave kids on Mars who free themselves and become like contractors and mercenaries, and you just like follow along in the tragedy of their lives after that. Essentially, Matt, did you have anything else to say on it? Uh, we've got we've got what I had to say covered. Okay, uh, while we brought it up, I do think it's important, and to each of us individually, I would think, uh, Rachel brought up Toonami. That was instrumental to me uh, for being as big of an anime fan as I am. The exposure to it for those uh, two or three hour blocks, Monday through Friday, uh, it, you know, if we were just including, like, companies or programs themselves on the Mount Rushmore, I would honestly give an honorable mention to Toonami itself, because that was many people's first exposure to the medium. But anyway, my uh, second uh, nomination is Yoko Kano, who has produced and written music for so many animes, but the standouts for me personally and the long-lasting effect were for her work with... uh, with production and writing on Cowboy Bebop, which I will fight you on this, has the best soundtrack of any show. I'm not just talking about anime. Any show, period. And then also, like, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex. Matt, I think you brought this up before. She worked on Record of Lotus War. Mm-hmm. Uh, Esca- Vision of Escaflone, another mech suit. You know, it all kind of comes back together. But she has been instrumental through production and writing for so many great themes uh, in anime. And uh, I know I'm not the only one that's familiar with this, so I'm opening up to the rest of the panel to talk about Yoko. Rachel, that's your cue. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I, um, I will fight you on this. But I actually uh, had her on my list, and I cut her uh, because I knew Ooh. somebody else would talk about her because she is really that great. And most people probably heard um, uh, Cowboy Bebop as their first. Uh, I do want to go ahead and, and just mention that she was only on the record of Lotus War Chronicles of the Heroic Night opening song. But uh, that song is amazing. So, you know, I, uh, es- Escaflone, uh, Wolf's Rain, mm-hmm. uh, Macross, Oh my you god, know, And then, of course, she's done a few video games, too. She's done some of the Nobunaga's Ambition. Uh, she, uh, she's great. Uh, I think she's pretty iconic, and she, at the time, was one of the big female composers. Uh, and she also writes a made-up language. I mean, not, like, made-up in the sense of, like, you know, Tolkien, but she, she kind of has, like... They'll call it like Yokoese or, or whatever, you know, to to to, des- to describe it, to make things sound more fantasy, you know. And she always gets really good singers to do it too. Uh, so I, I will mention uh, the two openings, the opening for uh, the first two uh, standalone complex. Amazing. Um, Inner Universe and Rise were both done uh, by the same woman who it was Russian and 
Ariga, Ariga. Passed a few years ago, but I and I was very very devastated to hear that because those songs are absolutely amazing. Uh, and kind of with when you Cowboy Bebop plus anything from Escaflone plus anything from Solo Complex is basically the plethora of of, of stuff that she's done. Yeah, not gonna lie. Her, for for me, her music made Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, the story was good. The like, music good elevated st- it. But when you put her music on top of it, when you score it with her music, it's it's a masterpiece. Which which is to say, Shinichiro Watanabe, the the, the director creator of Kelly Bebop, also made another anime called Samurai Champloo, and and it's not Yoko Kano, but it also speaks to how he had a feel because Samurai Champloo is kind of like rap and hip hop. Yeah, it's set in you know samurai days, whereas you know. Uh, Cowboy Bebop was set in kind of like a spaghetti western space drama, but mm-hmm. it had a jazz soundtrack. And so, yeah, I think I don't think it, I I think Escaflone was a little better personally, mostly because I like the fantasy stuff more. But no one can deny that that Cowboy Bebop was just amazing for the soundtrack. The the music. I mean, I listen to it on a somewhat regular basis. I mean, not just watching the show, but listening to it while at work. The impact that the music has, like, it can conjure up feelings from each of those individual episodes, and it can influence the way I feel. When music speaks to me on that level, that's masterful. I love it. It great. Well, that, that's it for my second. Now, okay, everybody knows this was coming for me. No surprise here. My third nomination is Akira Toriyama. Everybody here knows him. Everybody here knows what he's done. Uh, yeah, Dr. Slump is widely popular, but I think that Dragon Ball, the entire franchise, changed the face of the the medium completely. It, it was shown in before, you know, all of these other things like uh, Naruto and Bleach and all that stuff, and it still is. Over 30 years later, it is still relevant. A few weeks ago, when episode 100 of Dragon Ball Super aired... The the servers overloaded on Crunchyroll because that damn many people were trying to watch it. Goku is like the equivalent of Japanese Superman, and by God, he's actually going to be one of the ambassadors to the Olympic Games when they're held in, in Japan in a few years. I'm not making this stuff up. Dragon Ball Z changed action anime forever, and go ahead. I mean, fight me on it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can definitely say you were right. It's definitely a huge resurgence recently, too. Um, Kira Toriyama left his footprint rather harshly uh, with the creation of Dragon Ball. <laughs> Just kind of blew it into the air. Yeah, so the things I have to say with, and I'm not trying to start a fight, Ed. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't don't take ten episodes to power up, though, okay? It's... <laughs> Okay, uh, I do enjoy Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. I really do. And one of the things that I think is an important contribution that it makes to anime being brought to the West is that it, for most Westerners, it was their first introduction to the story Journey to the West. Right. And I, I think that's massively important because history and culture are kind of my shtick. Uh, that being said, 
I'm not a huge fan of his art style. I, I just, I'm, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not the style that I like. That silence spoke volumes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Dragon Ball Z Syndrome for a reason. I only have five minutes to stop Frieza. I guess oh, I'm no. going to spend 12 episodes thinking about it and another eight houring up. It created the trope. That is for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was the trope namer. Of <laughs> course, then, uh, the, then Naruto and One Piece decided, we're just, we're going to do that, but on steroids. And bleach. And bleach. Oh, I, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, there's a couple reasons why that happens. One, they want to catch up to the manga. Two, it's very episodic. You know, a lot of a lot of younger boys who are watching Dragon Ball Z probably just ate up every single episode they could get their hands on. And it, it's a cash cow. Why not? You know. Uh, honestly, I, I I I ate it up like sugary cereal all the way up through GT. I'm not even gonna lie. I mean, I uh, I'm hell on that. Through <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. Now Toriyama's only involvement in GT is he did character designs. He didn't write that. Um, but I'll say this: and when you said that it was a lot of people's first anime. Uh, our listeners know that we live in North Carolina, and uh, if they haven't picked up on it, there's a lot of people here who don't really venture outside their comfort zones. But I've been surprised, like in my personal life, like people that I never would have thought would have sat down and watched anime say that they watch Dragon Ball Super and watch Dragon Ball Z. It does. It's it's a wide appealing thing because it's just an action fighter, but. I think the characters are great, you know, and it does appeal to a wide audience. And that mass appeal alone, uh, as we said, drove the uh, the anime spread through Western yeah. audiences. Yeah, I think it's honestly on par with Pokemon for how much influence it had on on opening up anime to the mainstream consciousness of Americans. The stereotype is girls grew up on Sailor Moon and boys grew up on Dragon Ball Z. And for the most part, when it comes to your first introduction, that's kind of true. I want to go ahead and mention as a quick aside that I was introduced to Akira Toriyama because I played the uh, Dragon Quest slash Dragon Warrior games. Uh, I never really cared much for Dragon Ball Z, just not my thing, but I definitely recognized the art style when you know I went from one thing to another, definitely. Okay. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and list my final entry into uh, my Mount Rushmore. Also, no surprise to longtime listeners, Hayao Miyazaki. Dear Lord, this man's work is phenomenal. He has worked on everything from his first film, with, uh, I think when it was put under the Studio Ghibli name, was a Lupin III, uh, Castle Cagliostro, and yep. then he's he's since then done masterpieces, and I will again fight anybody to the contrary. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, Porco Rosso, freaking uh, Castle in the Sky, Totoro, Kiki, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, Princess Mononoke, my all-time favorite, Howl's Moving Castle, The Wind Rises. The man is a genius at writing and art. He is phenomenal. He has had such an influence, like we're talking about earlier, I, I, I would bet that he influenced Steven Universe to a degree. Uh, just the widespread influence of the man and the masterful work he has done cements him as an all-time legend and an easy entry into the Mount Rushmore. Oh, yeah. 
I, I definitely have to agree with every single bit of that because it's just I the, the the art is just gorgeous in and of itself, but then the stories are also just absolutely compelling. And here's the, here's the thing, and I'm not saying that Western animation does this all the time, but I don't believe that any of his work that I have seen talks down to its audience, like dumbs itself down for the viewer. I think that you know there are mature themes, even if it is a quote-unquote family-friendly movie. Princess Mononoke specifically comes to mind for me. Uh, there are some really heavy themes in that about environmentalism and war. And like I said, they just do not talk down to their audience, whereas a lot of Western animation does. Uh, I do want to mention that of all his movies, if I recall correctly, the one that's probably the least family-friendly, at least for younger children, would be Princess Mononoke, only because there is a little bit of gore that younger children probably wouldn't enjoy. <laughs> yeah, but, I, w- um, I would agree with that. Yes, <laughs> it, it's not like dark by any means, but there are a couple of scenes in there that are probably too violent for children or too terrifying. Uh, I definitely, you know, younger teenager would be fine. Well, unless anybody has any more input, that rounds out my four. Well, that's I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. You, you've uh, you've outed me. Miyazaki is on mine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we'll get to yours in just a moment. We're going to let Rachel go next with her four. Okay. Well, I want to go and shout out to Ed for picking Yoko Kano because that made me easier for me not picking her because I really wanted to. She would have been like an honorable mention. Um, I'm going to start with my first choice, which is Makoto Shinkai, who is a director, and for his, for some of his earlier films, he was the artist, too. Uh, he actually got known for a little movie he did called Hoshino Koe, or Voices of a Distant Star. Uh, this was revolutionary, not revolutionary, perhaps, but this was notable at the time because he literally did the, he did everything. He made the entire movie on a Macintosh computer. He and his wife did the two voices, and it was absolutely gorgeous. This is in the early 2000s. And I remember hearing about it and going, okay, I have to see this. And it was just as fantastically beautiful as anything from the early 2000s, and he did it single-handedly. It was just, I don't even know how he did that. After that, he started to get, you know, studios. His art has gotten better. His stories have gotten better. His his fingerprints are all over his work. It's all um, smaller slice of life type stories, sometimes some more bittersweet. Uh, two other uh, movies that he has done uh, that I definitely should mention are Five Centimeters Per Second, mm. which is, I mean, oh my goodness. Like, just just go online and, and look at a trailer for these. They got English releases. Uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and then I and then I have to mention uh, Kimi no Nawa, also known as Your Name, uh, because it was such a hit last year, 2017. It was. I'm just going to briefly mention this because it's such a huge deal. It was the fourth highest grossing film of all time in Japan, the seventh highest grossing traditionally animated film, the highest grossing anime Japanese film and the fifth highest grossing non-English film worldwide in 2017. It actually beat Spirited Away, which was Miyazaki's biggest uh, box office hit. It has just blown 
everybody's minds with how well it did last year. Not to say anything negative about Miyazaki. I'm just trying to explain the scale of this guy who started working on his Macintosh computer and what he's managed to pull off. Uh, it even it even got a English release in small theaters last year. It's just been unbelievable. And I have yet to purchase it on DVD. I'm like, I'm going to lie. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but I can't wait. Um, all his works are just gorgeous. And not just the kind of thing where that's all it's got going for it. They're all sort of, you know, sli- very slice of life, like I said, slightly bittersweet, uh, kind of just good emotional stories. They're all, you know, very, they're all really good. I think we lost Tino. I can go ahead. And, I'm, I'm pretty much done with Makoto Shinkai, so I can, we can just wait a minute. Let me send him a message real quick. I uh, I knew Miyazaki was going to be popular. <laughs> you know, I picked up Your Name on Blu-ray, and I haven't watched it yet. Internet I... died. Ah, oh, damn it. What happened? He said his internet died out. Where is he? He's in Sanford. Ah. I can't remember. Are you in Sanford or near Sanford? I'm about half an hour away. In Sanford? No, I live in Spout Springs. It's on the way to Spring Lake. Um, I can finish, or I can wait for him to see if he gets back. Well, he was the last one on the docket anyway. I think we can go ahead. Josh, are you still with us? Yeah, we can go ahead and continue. Okay. All right. Um, uh, okay. Do you want to set me up, Josh? Yeah, uh, I'll back in in three, two, one... Does, does anyone else have anything to say about Makoto Shinkai? I haven't seen any of his works yet, personally, so I would not be the best one to talk about it. I do own the movie Your Name, but I haven't watched it yet. I've heard good things. I might have to borrow that from you. Or maybe That's, we'll have a watch party, because everybody be deserves to see it. I mean, it's, it's, it's wow. Um, okay, my next pick uh, is a composer, and it would be Yuki Kajira, uh, again with... Again with Ed, uh, I really wanted. I, I, I fought between Yuki Kajiura and Yoko Kano, but I'm glad I picked uh, Yuki because she has done so many things that you'll start watching a show and then you'll hear the music and you'll think that sounds like her because her voice, her 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 music is very dynamic. It can sound different from show to show, but yet you know it's her work and. Some of the bigger, I'm just going to rapid fire some of the bigger things. Uh, most people probably got introduced to her from either Noir or Hacksign. Uh, in my case, I actually have the ending theme for Hacksign, Yasashii no Yoake, as my ringtone. Uh, I love it that much. Um, also, Key of the Twilight is a great, uh, also a great one. Uh, she's also done Sword Art Online. Uh, Madoka, uh, Tsubasa Reservoir Chronicle, Mahime and My Otome, and Fate Zero. Uh, all that stuff's great. And if, uh, if, if Josh will allow me to, I will be more than happy to link a couple of her songs uh, on the show notes because it absolutely deserves to be listened to. Uh, I actually uh, got into her from the, her earlier work, and then I would watch shows later, and i go... She's got to be doing the music for this because it's too great. So, Absolutely. Um, let, me inter- let me interject for just a second because 
with the exception of Cowboy Bebop, I believe the Dot Hack sign has the best anime soundtrack I have ever heard. And as soon as you said Yuki, I knew where you were going, and that is a phenomenal pick. Yeah, it's, uh, I've been outed again. It's also on mine for the exact same <laughs> reasons. Because That's okay. The, I, I'm not going to lie, I, I bought the Dot Hack video games because I watched the anime and I loved her music in the anime so much that I bought the PS2 games. Yeah, that sounds about right. I've got uh, one of her soundtracks uh, in my car, actually. I listen to it on a regular basis. It's fiction, too. (laughs) It's fiction. I didn't know there was a fiction, too. Yeah, Yeah. it came out in 2011. Okay. We have have fiction. Yeah, it's just... It's so good. Oh, my God. I, I, I... I listened to her music a bit to prepare for this episode, and I got chills on most of her stuff. It's just very epic, and I gotta say, when when her when her music first came out for something, in the anime music video community, her stuff would get used over and over and over because it was so good. Mm-hmm. You know, it got kind of played to death, but it worth it. I mean, worth it. Fake Wings is one of my favorite songs. Period. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for for me, I I think I, I think her magnum opus, in in my personal opinion, may be Salvanos. I just from noir, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also really enjoyed Key of Twilight from Half Time. Uh, I want to say she does concerts occasionally, and she'll get her her singers and stuff. I want to say just as a quick shout out, uh, she has a song from My Hime, and it's called Mizame or you know Awakening. And it is the, for me, it's the magnum opus. It's the best strong song she's done. And it has all her styles in it, and it's great. So, again, uh, I might be able to link that later. Uh, totally worth it. Does anyone else have anything to say about Yuki Kajura? Great choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. I, 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 like I said, I struggled between that and Yoko Kano, so I'm glad I went with the, uh, the, the other choice I had. Uh, my third choice is another composer. Uh, and this is Taku Iwasaki, who is best known for, I'm going to rub and fire again, uh, now and then, here and there, the Ryoni Kenshin, also known as Samurai X OEVs, uh, the Reader Die OEV, and TV show Witch Hunter Robin, Gurren Lagann, Soul Eater, Black Butler, The Irregular Magic High School, and Akame Ga Kisho. I mean, good lord, the stuff this guy's done. And I first heard him in the Rioni Kenshin OAVs and was moved to tears by his music. And then I was watching Reader Die. I was like, dang, this is a completely different soundtrack. But some of his string instruments, some of the string instruments in the show remind me of his work. I looked him up. Sure enough, same guy. Uh, (laughs) He's got the style to him that's very epic and also understood understated at the same time it's very full orchestra type music and i mean if you've seen any of his any of these shows you 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 know his music and you'll you'll recognize it uh i'm gonna give a shout out to the opening of the read or die oav uh, which is very 50s very 50 sounding, and two songs from the Rooney Kinchin oavs uh kotowari and the war of the last wolves are probably the most the best example of his work. But again, he really can make his works out very, very different. And I actually want to watch some of these other shows I mentioned just because he did the composing let, of, the, of, of the music, and I, I'm excited about that. Let me go ahead and throw a disclaimer in here. 
If you watch Akamega Kill, uh, just be warned, uh, you're not going to be happy. And I'm not saying yeah. that in a bad way. I'm not saying that in a bad way. George R. R. Martin syndrome. Yeah, you're not going to be happy. Don't become too attached to anybody. That, liter- that show really good. Literally anybody is fair game. Mm-hmm. Any anybody's fair game. It, it's it's very high stakes, so it makes sense. And uh, yeah, I, I got halfway through the show and I heard this song and I thought, oh my god, that sounds like Taku Iwasaki. Look it up. Sure enough, I mean, <laughs> I, I happened to be again, uh, like I said. But yeah, I've seen that and uh, I agree with that that assessment. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and go ahead and go with my final pick. In this case. Uh, I have to say, this was an extremely difficult choice for me. Uh, I kind of see my own Mount Rushmore as kind of the, the Theodore Roosevelt, because uh, they're all kind of my, my personal choices, but yet also had an impact. So it, it was very difficult for me to pick one seiyu, one Japanese voice actor, or actress in this case, and that is Megami Hayashibara. And one of the reasons I picked her is because she's been doing stuff since the, since the 80s. She's still working now. She has albums. She's done video games. She's done anime. She's done so much stuff. And if you watch any of the shows I'm about to mention, I'm going to mention the show and the role, because these are all major roles. Uh, Rama Half, she was female Rama. She thought she was uh, uh, auditioning for uh, Akane Tendo, and she got female Rama. And Neon Genesis Evangelion, she was Rei Ayanami. And Slayers, the whole series, she was Lena Inverse, and she also did most of the opening theme songs. And Cowboy Bebop, which is, again, a huge fa- uh, favorite of Ed, she was Faye Valentine. And in the entire Pokemon series, including all, like, freaking 15, 20 movies, she was Musashi, also known as Jessie from Team Rocket. So nice. she's, done, she's done a ridiculous amount of roles. Uh, these are just the major ones. Uh, she's had minor roles throughout. But if you've watched any of those shows and you listen to the Japanese track, you've definitely heard her at some point. Really, if, if you've watched more than, like, two major anime in Japanese, you've probably heard her voice. Mm-hmm. And she, she's good at, she kind of has a general sound to her voice that she uses for a lot of different things. But she can be, she can be rough, she can be very quiet, understated, like in Rei like Ayanami from you know, Genesis and the Giant. She has a lot, she has a lot of range, so... Has anyone else watched any subtitled work with, with her voice and wants to chime in? I honestly haven't seen... I've never watched Bebop in Japanese, and I've not seen Ranma One Half yet, so okay. I, have not, I have not listened to her personally. But okay. if we're going to do shout-outs for hardworking, and I'm, I'm throwing it back again, Masako Nozawa is in her 80s and still screaming her head off as Goku. So that's just something I wanted to give a shout-out to real quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are my picks. Again, I kind of went with the Theodore Roosevelt feel. Uh, hopefully, uh, whether or not they've made a huge impact is is one is one uh, question. But definitely, I would have to say personally that that's what I would go with. Okay. All right, Matt. Let's hear your four. Well, two of mine have already been heard. I mean, I, I think Miyazaki is absolutely essential to an anime rush more. It's just everything the man has touched has turned into absolute gold. And 
I, I, I'm not really going to elaborate very much because we've already discussed him. He's just absolutely fantastic. My uh, second pick is, as already discussed, Yuki Kajura. After I watched Noir, I actually sought out anime where she was the composer. And it brought me into a lot of stuff that I would not have seen otherwise. So, so th- those first two we've already discussed. Uh, someone who I feel is maybe not at the forefront of people's minds, but is absolutely indispensable. Uh, and I consider this person to be George Washington because th- they were the first big one. And that's going to be Osamu Tezuka, who was the creator of Astro Boy, which started as a manga in, ni- uh, in 1951. And in 1963, uh, became the the first popular anime. Not the first anime, because, you know, Japanese animated film goes all the way back to 1917. But the first widely viewed, like, really large viewership was the 1963 Astro Boy series, which is also generally accepted as the first major shonen series. And the it was so massive that when it was originally on the air in the 1960s, at its peak, 40% of all households in Japan that owned TVs regularly watched Astro Boy. I honestly do not think anime would have gotten anywhere near as big as it did without that impetus from the creations of Tezuka. To throw it back to where I was, uh, at the start of my Rushmore... Uh, Yoshiyuki Tomino actually did work on the Astro Boy series as a writer, so kind of comes full circle. Yeah, things tend to do that on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's a good choice. And uh, my... I want to go ahead and mention with Matt's choice that uh, he also did a, a manga and an anime called uh, Princess Knight. That was the English title, uh, and it was it's widely considered one of the first shoujo Maho Shoujo anime. Uh, so that was kind of a big deal, too. Um, you know, origins are a little sketchy, but definitely, definitely that was a big influence as well. Yeah. And now, for for my final pick, and this is my Teddy Roosevelt. I, I included this person because I love her work too much not to include it, and that is Rumiko Takahashi. And she did Lum, Inuyasha, Meso Nikoku, and Ranma One Half, and Mermaid Star. Now, the, the, those are some pretty big series, and she's been at it since, what, the early 80s? Since the early 80s, and they've all become just, not only did they become phenomena, phenomenons in Japan, but these were a lot of the early anime that came to the U.S. These were a lot of the formative ones that helped break into the American market. You know, and granted, they didn't have as much of it. I would say that her work paved the way to allow Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, and Sailor Moon to make it to the U.S. and break into the main culture. Because it, got, it started to get the niche culture comfortable with the idea of anime having different genres and wide-ranging stories and Ranma One Half 
is generally credited with introducing gender-bending comedy or gender-bending in general in anime to the West. So I just, I really think it, it can't be, it can't really be overstated how important her work was in blazing trails for other more widely known works. Yeah, I want to go ahead and mention uh, uh, her first work was actually uh, Yudo Sayatsuda, uh, and then, of course, um, Olam was a big deal. Uh, he mentioned Mermaid Saga, Mermaid, Mermaid Scar, Mermaid's Forest were all like a compendium work. Uh, she, most of her stuff's all been made into anime, and all of it's been uh, had it as an English release. There's also... Uh, uh, did you say Maison Nikoku? Yes. I forget. I forgive me. Yes, that was a big deal in the eighties. It was a. It was kind of a romance comedy, uh, bitter romance comedy. And then she actually has a current running anime series right now called Green Ne. And so, yeah, I would say. And she was also one of the bigger female uh, writers at the time, uh, uh, manga artists at the time. And all all of her anime looks like, exactly like her artwork. I mean, whoever. Whoever is doing the yeah. directing. Uh, her, her artwork, to me, is about as recognizable as Akira Toriyama's. When you see Akira Toriyama's work, you know it's Akira Toriyama. And it's the same thing with Rumiko Takahashi. When you see her art, you know it's her. The only one of her series that I've watched, and I enjoyed it quite a bit, was Inuyasha. And I really, really did like that show in its initial run on... Uh, was it on Adult Swim or Toonami? I can't remember. But it was a good show, and uh, you guys have spoke at length about Ranma, and uh, we, we all know its impact it's had, so that's a good choice. I've got it on DVD if you want to borrow it. <laughs> Let me get caught up with Food Wars, and then I'll take you up on that offer. <laughs> all the high school flashbacks here. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, Those are my picks. Okay, uh, Tino, we're going to uh, throw it over to you for your four. Okay, well, you definitely added me on two of my picks, and I'll go through those real quick because I'll, I had something else I wanted to add. Um, so my first pick was Yoshiyuki Tomino. Um, not only for the reasons that Ed listed that he's on mine, I'm also a little biased because I'm a huge Gundam fan and a huge Gunpla fan. Um, really like the plastic crack. Uh, he also, in creating uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, he also created an entire subgenre of real robots that all the other uh, robot anime at the time couldn't fall into because they were super robots. Uh, the difference there being that this is more based in reality, essentially. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, my other one was uh, Yoko Kano, much for the same reasons that were already listed for her. Um, she's definitely a huge impact in my musical uh, tastes. I never would have opened up to like jazz and uh, classical if it wasn't for her and her work. Um, and then... Uh, my third pick was uh, Hideaki Anno, mm-hmm. um, the man that helped bring us Neon Genesis Evangelion. He's also one of the founding members of Studio Gainax uh, that brought us many, many fun shows like uh, Evangelion. Um, 
Kulikuli. Kulikuli as well, yeah. Uh, he also just recently directed the new Godzilla movie, which was phenomenal, if you guys haven't seen it. Shin Godzilla was fantastic. Shin Godzilla was amazing. Uh, he was able to throw a lot of his um, Evangelion roots into it as well, which really, really helped the movie in the, uh, in the thematic department. Also, something I didn't know until I did a little more research on him was that he did most of the uh, animating for the end of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Nice. Yeah. Huh. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't have that without him. <laughs> I'd also like to chime in real quick and say uh, he also did uh, Nadia's Secret of Blue Water, which was really good back in the 90s. And uh, I realize it's cheesecake, but Cutie Honey was kind of a big deal when it came out. Yeah. That was one that I was going to bring up. It's been a long time since I've seen that. Oh, and for people who aren't familiar with the phrase cheesecake when it comes to anime, we're basically referring to lots of uh, artwork that would appeal to men. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise known as fan service. Fan service. Yes. Uh, I also, Questionable physics around the chest region. Yeah. I would argue that one of... Uh, 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 Anno's uh, more different works from what he usually do, did was uh, he directed an anime called uh, Karashi Kanojo no Jijo, which is his and her circumstances. It's kind of like a little romance comedy thing. Uh, didn't get a big release, wasn't like super popular, but it was a good show. And uh, I also want to mention that one of the things I find more, most interesting about Anno is that he's openly talked about his depression mm-hmm. in creating Evangelion and mm-hmm. why it's dark and why it's, you know, doesn't really end on a happy note, but, you know. And then he's mentioned that he's gotten help from his depression, and that's why he decided to do a rebuild of Evangelion and make a series of movies about it, because now he's like, look, I told this story when I was depressed, now I want to give it a fresh look now that I'm, you know, more balanced. And so you kind of get a different perspective on the same situation. And in some ways, it actually ends up being a little bit darker. So I find that ironic, but you can yeah. definitely watch him evolve between between both of them, which I find terribly interesting. He, he really did create such flawed characters, and uh, as a result, they become more real. And the entirety of Evangelion is just a giant, well mind screw and uh you root for such characters and then you hate such characters like uh gendo ikari is one of my most hated characters in all of anime period oh he's so creepy i'd love to hate him yeah but then i i think i'm in the minority here but shinji ikari is one of my favorite characters in all of anime and he gets stereotyped as being a whiny child and this that and the other but i i think he's a complex character and then when you throw in kaoru and all the you know all the other things he was such a fantastic writer and and you know just a phenomenon it's great i want to go ahead and mention again that uh megami Ishibara plays rayan um, he arguably the the uh female protagonist. I, I prefer Asuka, but that's me. Uh, and I also oh, like, no. Yeah, I know. We'll find about, we we'll about this later. Ray but, is best girl. Ray we'll, is best girl. No, we'll, no we'll, we'll find about this later. But uh, 
I also want to do a shout out for Shinji Ikari's Japanese voice, uh, Megumi Ogata, who is one of my favorites. And uh, the uh, the nothing nothing against the English dub, but the sheer amount of power they put into all their performances. Megumi Ogata would scream in her in her role till her voice was raw. I mean, it was just amazing. And there, there's a scene where there's a, a, a weird little alternate universe scene where, where uh, Shinji Ikari is choking another character, and they actually got Megumi Ogatu to choke said character, said voice actress, to get the uh, to get the right sound. And I mean, wow. I mean, and I guarantee you, Ano had something to do with that. Because uh, <laughs> that sounds like him, you know, striving for real realism and something that's not very... I'm just real. imagining Ano walking in. Okay, let's do that again, but this time, just... just Choke the hell out of her while you're doing it. Like, actually just choke the hell out of her. I, I do want to interject for one second. I did meet Spike Spencer several years ago, the American voice actor for Shinji. <clears throat> they put all they that they have into it, too. He said that his voice come out raw and kind of bleeding, uh, especially from, I think he said, the third Rebuild movie. There was, like, a lot of screaming in one scene, and it was just, it tore his throat up. But yeah. he, he was a real cool guy to meet. Uh, yeah. I gotta say, I've listened to both, and I have a very soft spot in my heart for the Japanese version. But honestly, watch the show. I don't care how you watch it. I don't care if you read the manga. Just, it's a good show. Uh, it's not for beginners in an anime. You kind of want to get an idea of what tropes are going on and what, because this is like so off the wall. It's like it's like saying I want to start watching American cinema, and I want to start with Quentin Tarantino. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily want to do that. <laughs> so. What could possibly go wrong? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, a uh, a scene that Uma Thurman filmed that you didn't really want to film if you've been following recent events. But yes, yeah, I, I actually did read that article. Right. From Kill Bill One, I think. Anyway, uh, Tino, you got one more pick for us? Yes, I do. Um, my last pick is another uh, a little biased one, but it definitely had a huge impact, I believe, on. Uh, Anime in general is uh, Hiroyuki Imaishi. Um, he is a uh, key animator and director, and he's actually one of the co-founders of Studio Trigger, um, which I believe has had a huge impact on the mecha genre and also um, whatever genre Kill a Kill falls under. <laughs> Um, fan service. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not just fan service. It's fan service for a reason, maybe. <laughs> um, but he has worked on a lot of really influential uh, animations like Dead Leaves, Cutie uh, Honey, Pooly Cooly, um, Neon Genesis Evangelion when he was working at Gainax. Um, without this man, we wouldn't have uh, Gurren Lagann or even the opening to season two of Black Dynamite. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, that's everybody. And believe it or not, we actually, through uh, votes, have a consensus. With two votes each, uh, Yoshiyuki Tomino, two votes each for Yuki Kajiura, two votes each for Hayao Miyazaki, and two votes each for Yoko Kano. That's the tally I've got. Yep. That's the four. I, I am surprised that we came to a general consensus on this, actually. I thought we'd have to go to Twitter to get somebody <laughs> to do tiebreakers. Uh, for, for me, I'm not going to lie. 
I actually, uh, the only reason I didn't have Yoko Kano on mine was because I was debating between Yoko Kano and Yuki Kajiura. Me too. I did the same thing. There's no wrong choice between the two of them. Yeah, the two of them are just, they're just pure genius yeah. when, when they make music. And I really believe the music can make or break an anime. And I, I think all of their music is just, I've never seen anything they've done that did not improve the work that they were scoring. Yeah. I agree. I also agree with that. I'm, I'm kind of surprised we ended up with two uh, musicians on here. Uh, they're not bad choices at all. I, I want to go ahead and shout out the fact that they're female musicians, and most composers for anime are not female. And Joe, Joe Hisaishi is a really good one, too. Yeah, it's like there's just, there's you know, it's a somewhat predominantly male field, but these two women are absolutely probably the best of the best. Uh, in most regards. I think this is actually our first Rushmore we've done with an actual consensus. I can I, confirm that. That's great. Uh, I am oh, shocked that we did it, funny. but yeah, we did it. Josh, do you have anything to add? I think that's about the brunt of it. I think that we are. To- it's time for our ritual, Ed. Uh, I'm going to give Matt the go-ahead to uh, kill the Duncan! <laughs> <laughs> well, dear listeners and fellow panelists, today may be a truly epic death for the Gungan. Because, you see, after his incident last week, he decided to try and go to other parts of Japan, preferably where he wouldn't be killed by a cabot turning into a spaceship and impaling him. But as he was walking through the the streets of Akihabara, he heard the music of Yoko Khan rising to a crescendo as he was stabbed through the back with a pen by Hayao Miyazaki. Miyazaki's the hero, again. Miyazaki has saved us all. Well, uh, on that note, I must go ahead and wrap up this discussion. Uh, thank you, Tino, for joining us on Big Nerdy Questions. We appreci- appreciate your feedback. As always, you created a consensus, so well done, sir. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I really had fun. And, of course, thank you, Matt and Rachel, as always, and thank you, Ed, for hosting this Mount Rushmore Our next Mount Rushmore episode, if I remember correctly, is our Mount Rushmore of uh, comics, which will be helmed by Matt. Uh, So we are looking forward to that one. It should be marvelous. Uh, If you catch my meaning. If if not, you may want to rewire your circuits. You may need to put in some direct current or DC, as the cool people call it. You're casting a bad image. Uh, But... Uh, next time will not be a Mount Rushmore episode. Next time we will feature another special guest, Jen Finelli, the author of Becoming Hero. And she's going to help us figure out which characters have gripes and uh, which ones really should kill their authors. So join us for the Battle Royale next time on Big Nerdy Questions. Thanks, everybody.